Welcome to another exciting episode of Talkin' Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we're in week two of our mystery movie month, I guess is what we'll call it. All right, yeah. This week I chose a movie, and Tim didn't know what it was until we pushed play. That, a, wh- a little while after you pushed play, I was like, There's, what are these plants? What's going on? It looked, It was eerie. I thought we were about to watch like a weird like fantasy horror movie. Yeah, because like the plants and flowers looked very like vibrant and yeah, so I can see where you'd think maybe there's a fantasy element happening. Like, uh, like I've never seen Swamp Thing, and for a second I was like, <laughs> "Is he showing me Swamp Thing? Is that what we're about to watch?" I've waited so long to show you Swamp <laughs> Thing, Tim. <laughs> Next time I choose a uh, a movie, it's going to be Return of Swamp Thing. Ah. Um, no, the movie of the week that I <laughs> chose kind of randomly uh, was Silent Running from 1971. You say kind of randomly, but I mean, last month we talked about Nebraska and Gravity. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, you got Bruce Stern here from Nebraska and then the whole idea of like somebody alone in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, when I was like trying to find a movie to uh, to show you, it was tough because I mean, part of what I enjoyed about last week was like me not knowing anything about the movie. So I'm like looking at all the movies that I own. And I'm like, what movie might Tim not know anything about? And so when I was trying to find that, I, I saw Silent Running, and I was like, oh, this is kind of like you know a somewhat obscure science fiction movie. And when I was looking at the at the DVD case, I hadn't watched it in a, in a long time. But when I was looking at the DVD case, I saw Bruce Stern's name, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't even know that he was in." Oh yeah, because when we talked about Nebraska, didn't you say, I was like, like, "Oh, I, I, I know, don't... I've seen him in something, but I yeah. don't know what." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so you knew what the movie was, but you hadn't seen it before. Um, I knew that it had to do with. A man who, like, what I thought it was about was, like, a man who was sort of like an outcast living alone in space. Like, I didn't realize the circumstances led up to that. Like, mm. I based on, like, a couple of stills I'd seen and, like, that. Um, and I, I had heard a comparison to John Carpenter's Dark Star, which I definitely see after watching it. Like, I thought it was about somebody who like chooses to like reject earth and move to space and bring like this whole like plant life thing with him like a and there's i guess like somewhat of an element of that mm. like because it seems like he's the only character that we've seen in the film who is sort of like rejecting what earth has become so yeah it's funny how like synopsis is that you might read in like I don't know magazines or even not even today online like sometimes you just get a weird different image of what the movie is well i really liked it <laughs> and when it started out i was like this is gonna be a chore like that's because i based on what i thought it was like oh it's gonna be a movie where it's just one person alone all the time and like i didn't know about huey and dewey yeah, <laughs> they were every time they showed up. It was amazing. These little robots uh, waddling around. Like I, I feel in the last uh, few years, drones have gotten a bad name, 
and, uh, <laughs> and here we have some very sympathetic very cute drones. drones. Yes. Dewey, Dewey, and Louie. Come exactly. on, drones can't be all that bad. And it's are these the drones that Obama has employed? <laughs> Are they the ones going over to Iraq and Afghanistan? <laughs> Some guy's just walking around. This little thing waddles up to him, and he's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> um, <laughs> they're the surveillance drones that everyone's talking about. They're spying on us. You just imagine waddling down the street. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean, they're they're robots and stuff. But it's it's so affecting when like one of them dies and the other one is like injured and he's operating on him we think he's gonna die and like yeah definitely and they have to and when they're at the end when they have to be separated like oh you can take care of it however you were too injured you have to come with me and then you know he kills himself and the drone and spoilers by the way (laughs) well we presume that you know if you're yeah Listening this far into our discussion about the movie, then, uh, you know, maybe you've watched it. Maybe you haven't, and you, you're just curious about the movie. But um, I didn't see that ending coming. I thought that he would... Stay with the forest? Yeah, like he was such a part of the forest, and he could just he could ask, sail away. You know, he could ask Huey to just, like, launch him. Yeah. But at that point in time, I mean, because all the plant life had been dying... It would have been a while for it to be able to sustain him, I think. So there were like rabbits around. He could survive he on didn't, the rabbits. He didn't strike me as somebody who was going to eat a rabbit. Well, I mean, if he had to. Based on conversations he had early on and comparing them to conversations I've had with people we hang out with, I don't think he would have eaten rabbit. Mm. <laughs> when the forest started to die, did you think that it was the robots turning on him? No, I did not. <laughs> because there's a scene right before we reveal that the forest is dying, and it's like Huey and Dewey, and they're up, latched onto the outside of the of the spaceship, mm. and it's a weird kind of scene because like they just sort of waddle up to each other, and they're facing each other, and then like we go in close, and we see them. It's like they're communicating something. We we don't hear anything because they're in space or whatever, and and they don't talk anyway, but we just see some lights flashing at each other. And then it kind of goes out wide again, and they walk away from each other. And it has this, um, it has a very ominous kind of like 2001: A Space Odyssey. It's like we're Hal spying on Dave. Exactly. And, um, yeah. What was the other one's name? Um, Dave and the other guy. Yeah, the guy. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just imagine in that scene, like you know, if we had like subtitles of what they were talking about, it'd be like you know, we must destroy the human. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Huey. <laughs> he keeps talking down to us like we're babies. <laughs> yeah. Pissing me off. Let's destroy him. Um, I mean, the 2001 connection uh, right. could make sense because um, Douglas Trumbull directed it and uh, he worked on the special effects for 2001. Was he the head special effects? I think um, I think he was, but I, I don't know for sure. But he was one of the one of the lead visual effects people on 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, and that this movie was his first directing gig he had done visual effects for other films like in the andromeda strain he did the title sequence for candy which i haven't seen but several of our friends i guess uh, i think it was a garage movie at one point meaning that um people would watch it together in the phelps's garage for those who might not know what a garage movie is (laughs) so that he came from that background of of creating these you know 
working with miniature ships and all that kind of stuff. And I know that the, that the budget on, on Silent Running was very, very small, especially for the scope of the movie, I guess. Like, when you're making something like a science fiction film set in space, like, mm-hmm. you know, the budget has to be somewhat large. But I guess it was made for, I think, like a million dollars, which is very small. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you can tell watching the movie, it's the special effects aren't, anywhere near as as polished as like 2001 a space odyssey but it's i like the effect but it has a charm to it yeah it's it's very uh i I love the aesthetic of of movies like this and like a combination of that and like the color schemes it's just so it's that great like 70s sci-fi yeah thing like i mean well the colors kind of reminded me of the of like well conquest of the planet of the apes Kind of like it's a little slightly in the future with like all the like the red and the green and the different like the color coded apes type yeah. thing and like, but you I think you said he worked on did he work on Battlestar Galactica or did John Dykstra you were um, saying earlier John you, Dykstra one of the other visual okay. effects people on Silent Running uh, worked on the the TV show Battlestar Galactica that's another one that I have heard of and I've seen many. I've, I haven't watched it, but I've seen tons of pictures of it and stuff, and, like, it looks like something I'd enjoy visually. Yeah. Because it has that same kind of, like, charm. I've never actually watched the original show either, or the remake for that. Yeah, matter. I haven't watched the new one either. I have the entire show on DVD, though, the, of the original series, and that nice Cylon box set there. But uh, I haven't dipped my toe in. I also found a, uh, a soundtrack from the original show on vinyl. Uh, about a year ago, I think, and the artwork on it is just awesome. Mm. So, I mean, it's something that I definitely want to uh, check out at some point. I remember reading some article in, uh, <clears throat> uh, I think it was like Cinescape or Starlog or one of those like sci-fi magazines from the '90s, where it was like a, it was like a debate. It was like two different people writing back and forth about like who ripped who off Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica because they were like around the same time and they'd both been like in pre-production around the same time I don't know what the finding was or anything but it piqued my interest at the time but apparently never enough to actually sit down and watch it because when I was a teenager I'm pretty sure that it was rerun on Sci-Fi Channel fairly regularly Hmm. yeah it's interesting um just to think about like how science fiction evolved over like from the 1950s when it first started to really kind of take off into the direction of like outer space yeah and the the idea of aliens and uh you know rocket ships and all that kind of stuff how it changed through the 60s and into the 70s i always hear that the that the original alien film from 1979 was notable in that it kind of like turned space travel into this sort of it, the, the crew of the Nostromo in yeah. Alien is described as like you know oh these sort of like they're almost like oil riggers they're just doing a job it's not like you know they're it's not like Star Trek where you're going out to explore the great unknown and there's yeah, like these NASA, the working class these American are... astronauts like you know going to uh, do spacey stuff mm-hmm. it's like they're just doing a job and it's like everyday run-of-the-mill kind yeah. of work but this film kind of has that element to it and it was uh i guess eight years 
beforehand. Mm. Where, I mean, the crew of this of this ship, the Valley Forge, is basically like you know, it's just a job to them. They can't wait for it to end. Yeah, they they just want to go back home, and, and they don't care about why they're there or mm-hmm. what they're doing. They just are doing what they need to do, and then yeah, going. They're not like the the typical <clears throat> kind of. I mean, I I just watched the original Planet of the Apes. Like, the Charlton Heston, like, NASA astronaut who's, like, you know, basically modeled on, like, the the John Glenns of the, and the Neil Armstrongs of the of the real world. Although I assume Neil Armstrong and John Glenn weren't so, like, misanthropic and, like, <laughs> God, this fucking human race. There has to be something better out there, or whatever. I'm paraphrasing, but that's right, kind of from what... The, from the beginning of Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting how it transitioned from that traditional sort of view of what an astronaut was to, yeah, you know, it goes very well with like other films in any genre of like that period, where like I just because I don't want to ruin the endings of numerous films, right? I'll just, I'll just say there's a bunch of films in that era where. The At the end, the main himself. yeah, the main character kills himself or dies like yeah. suddenly and yeah. violently, um, and it's it's somewhat downbeat. But I guess everyone was cool <laughs> just because they kept going. Yeah, to see I these can't. Movies. I mean, like, <laughs> man, yeah, I think about it, and I mean, we talked about this. If you've been listening to the show since the beginning, God bless you. Yeah, <laughs> please tell me who you are. <laughs> but um. Yeah, in our, uh, I guess our second month of doing the show, we watched a lot of films from this time period, the, the late 60s, early 70s, yeah. so that like four to five year period. And after that, we kind of like swore off films of that era for a while, <laughs> which is another reason why I was kind of like hesitant to show this movie. Because it's right smack dab, 1971. Mm-hmm. But um, Well, the, the latest one of that, the, we did make it to 78 because we watched Deer Hunter. We did watch Deer Hunter. Which which was written and directed by one of the writers of on this Silent film. Running, yeah. And I don't know how much input he had as far as the ending or what he contributed. But. Yeah, but it's funny because it seemed like all of those films had downer endings. Yeah. And I just watched, uh, like I said, I just watched Planet of the Apes, um, the whole series. <laughs> and they all came out around that same time. The first film came out in 1968. The second... 1970, the third in 1971, the fourth in 1972, and all of them are just like have such depressing endings. Well, the last one, it's more of like an ambiguous, semi-optimistic ending. Mm-hmm. But we were coming out of that before period, that. It's just of. like yeah. I, I mean, the Planet of the Apes films, I always imagined to be like you know, you always hear people tell stories about like oh they're fond memories when they're a kid and everyone they're like it was such a huge movies. yeah and it was like the first film franchise to like spawn huge merchandising blitz you know the action figures and everything and you know kids were going ape crazy and there's a big craze and then you watch the films and you're just like jesus fucking christ they're they're so dark but i guess that like film was very very dark at that time period i guess like everything you watch is just like soul crushing (laughs) I mean, and obviously it's not 100% across the board, but, like, so many notable films. It must have been, like, I mean, everything with Vietnam and just the state of the world, it felt like 
because coming into the 60s there was so much like sort of youthful hope and optimism about the future and then so much shit happened and it was just like i can see how people felt like they were you know that hope was somehow dying and it's definitely reflected in the uh in the films of the time and silent running doesn't portray a very happy look at the future we don't actually see earth but from what we hear it's not really well, we see place. earth as the plant we don't see we see okay <laughs> we see it from space we, see we don't actually space, see any we don't life on go earth down onto it you yeah. know we don't see what the state of humanity is on earth all we hear is that apparently there are no there's no vegetation at all and we all eat genetically modified food i guess similar to what a lot of our food today is yeah or like it's synthetic in in some way which i'm assuming was like a comment on the way things were going at the time and are going now but i mean well science fiction always had like even well that is like the number one genre to go through if you want to say something about like the way we live like that's the genre to go to and like in the other ones it might seem like wow this this guy's really hitting us over the head with this message but like it just goes so well with sci-fi that you yeah. don't even really like because you notice can show how it blunt in, it can be yeah you can show it in an entertaining way yeah where you don't you yeah you're not realizing so much that you're i mean this movie kind of i mean when the songs come in it's a little bit like okay because it's not like the songs were a little bit much save the trees tell them all to harvest <laughs> you know it's pretty cheesy Sung by the lovely Joan Baez. She played somewhere around here lately. Or recently. The Egg, I think. Really? I do thought you, about... Do you think she busts these songs out in her uh, in her set list? She might. I don't know. What other... Was she, like, a big artist at the time? Or, like... Um, I don't know what her career was like then, but in the early 60s, she was, like, a big part of, like, the, the folk music revival. And, um... She, like, met Bob Dylan when he was starting out and, like, invited him up on stage with her. And, like, a lot of people, like, knew him from that. And she recorded Blown in the Wind. She was one of several people to record Blown in the Wind before he recorded Blown in the Wind. Oh, okay. Like, he wrote it. Right. And a bunch of other artists put it out. And, and, like, they would go on tour. They would go to, like, protests together and stuff like that. She got him really into, like, a lot of the political things he was involved in, which he grew out of very quickly, even though people still like to put him with the protests. Mm-hmm. type stuff um and in the movie uh don't look back um well they they became a couple and like in, in the in the movie don't look back it's really great because it's like this subtle thing they he's the it's a documentary about bob dylan's uh tour of england in 1965 and she's like along with him like you know as his girlfriend and they're just hanging out and stuff. And then about like halfway through the movie, she's just not there anymore. And it never tells you why or what happened. You just notice she's not there anymore. And it's like they broke. He he broke up with her basically. It was like or, just go home. If you listen to last week's episode, <laughs> <laughs> we have a theory about these things. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. It's I I know of at least one other movie of the time. In the Godzilla series, there's a movie that was put out. I think it was, I'm not exactly sure what year, but I think it was around the same time. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. And that was a very, like, environmentally focused movie. And it had a really 
kind of cheesy song that is just repeated over and over and over again throughout the movie about you know how we must save the planet and save the oceans and save the flowers and all that kind of stuff 1971 Godzilla vs. Smog Monster? Yep 19, Wow, there you go, 1971 It's weird that when you search for Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster on IMDb The fourth result is Monsters, Inc. and the fifth is Monsters, University <laughs> But alright Sometimes searching on IMDb is really weird Because you'll, like for instance, you look up Dracula And, I mean, there are like yeah. tons of movies called Dracula You'd think that, like, they would sort of list them somewhat by notability, you know? You'd think that, like, the Todd Browning, Bela Lugosi film would be among at least one of the first matches. But I remember searching it, and you have to go down, like, all the way to, like, 13 or 14. And it's like... And and all the other movies aren't even... The first result, Dracula 2000. Yeah, or like, like yeah. <laughs> and it's like movies that just happen to have Dracula in the title. They're not even just called Dracula. It's like, if I just search Dracula, it should just show me the movies that are just searched, just yeah. called Dracula first. Anyway, that's, you know, time to be get it together. But yeah, that's uh, funny how, so 1971, there, even Godzilla in, in Japan, they were even doing this sort of like environmental movement trying to think of other like sci-fi movies from 71 when did soylent green come out i think it was 73 it's another kind of a downer sci-fi movie <laughs> with charlton Heston. clockwork orange was 71 that that could be considered sci-fi yeah uh, i you, mean it doesn't tie in with the environmental thing i mean but you it see it grouped another. into science fiction categories yeah. all the time which because makes it, sense because, because I mean it's, it takes place in like a somewhat dystopian future and, and it deals with like the whole, the whole like idea of like the mind control and everything and mm-hmm. yeah a lot of downer movies. Um, <laughs> I really liked Bruce Dern in this. And I remember saying like in uh, the Nebraska episode how um, I'm not really a Bruce Dern fan. And there were bits of like why I'm not in Silent Running. Like he gets, he's a creepy ass guy. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he kind of reined it. Like he didn't really go too over the top. There were some moments, maybe, where he did, uh, like, in his interactions with his co-workers early on. Right. But, I mean, when he was, it was he was, like, talking to the drones as if mm-hmm. they were, like, his children and stuff. Like, I bought that. But him interacting with other human beings, it was like, he doesn't know how to do that. <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of what the character was. Is yeah. That it was just, like, the character is, is a loner and isn't really doesn't interact with the other crew in the same way that the, they do. Right. And he's just kind of more comfortable with with the rabbits and the and the plants and the drones. <laughs> well, he can't program his coworkers, but he can program his drones. <laughs> See, he tries to convince them of like, "Oh no, like the way I'm doing things, like it's it's better and like they won't have any of that, but the drones will listen because they have to listen." <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good point, and I think it's it's funny how like, and I guess somewhat ironic that it's the humans that are willing to just let all the forests and plants die, mm. and he has to rely on the synthetic people to help him in his uh, in his crusade. The scene 
well, I mean, there's a few great scenes with with him and the Jones, but the the scene where they're all playing poker, I thought was especially uh, good. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can really see just like how he's, I mean, he's losing his mind. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's really good in this. I really like Jim Carrey's uh, impression of him at the Oscars. He's very creepy and unsettling, like Bruce Dern. So. Yeah, Jim but. Carrey was. Uh, he was kind of weird at the Oscars. Yeah. Not to talk about the Oscars again. We're done with that. Yeah, thank but, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mentioned earlier that people had compared it to Dark Star, which uh, was... I'm not sure when it was... I feel like it was made over a period of like a couple of years because it, um, it, it was a student film from uh, John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon, who would go on to write Alien. Yes, and direct Return of the Living Dead. Yes, the greatest horror comedy of all time. That's a fact, not an opinion. Uh, it's a fact, not e- an opinion. <laughs> Evil Dead 2. I don't know. I don't see it. There wasn't any comedy in that. That movie's terrifying. What are you talking about? Evil Dead 2? No, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> Although I'm not a huge fan of it, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. Anyway, Dark Star, I think, was eventually put out in 74, and I feel like chances are they saw this movie. Um, It's about, like, a crew on a spaceship who are just kind of, like, basically dealing with day-to-day existence, cut off from everything, and, like, they're all dealing with it in their own way. Either just, like, getting stoned all the time, or... Or just going crazy, and I don't know, it just reminded me of... And also, it has a somewhat downer ending, but it's a comedy, so it's mm. like a... It's a funny downer ending, in a way. And the there's an alien in Dark Star, which, uh, they, I mean, like, you think Silent Running has a low budget. I mean, that Dark Star was like a student film. Right, right. So they, had a, they got um, a beach ball and filmed it in close-up. That's the alien. <laughs> And just kind of bounces around and like stuff like that. It just I don't know. It, it reminded me of like the the waddling way that the drones walked in this. It was just like, aw, yeah. They made Spe- a movie. Look at this. Like, Speaking oh. of the drones, do you know how the waddling? Why the, the why they waddled the way that they waddled? Why did they waddle the way that they waddled? Because inside those drones were um, people who had no legs. And they were walking on their hands. Oh, like Johnny Eck. In Freaks. Freaks. Which um, Douglas Trumbull, the director, said that years before making Silent Running, he saw Freaks and saw the guy with no legs and who walked on his with his hands. And that stuck with him. And he thought one of the first one of the first ideas for Silent Running was like, and of course, from a visual effects sort of standpoint was like if you wanted to make like a little creature a little robot or something and if you wanted to do it in a way that people might not know how they did it like you get someone like that and uh have them move in that way okay that makes sense yeah i thought they were like maybe they had like springy things in their shoes or something but still the legs would be like oddly yeah that makes sense. um the the half man from freaks johnny eck uh when he was at mgm doing freaks 
because they were like, oh, well, we've got this guy who's like this here at the studio anyway. They were making um, Tarzan the Ape Man. I think it was Tarzan. The I think it was the first Tarzan movie they did at MGM. And they had him put on this like weird suit and he played like this like giant bird thing that kind of waddled around like that. So that makes sense. I've never actually seen any of the Tarzan movies. I'd like to see Tarzan and his mate because of the nudity. When was that but made? 34. Ah, so yeah, see, that's right on the uh, Right on the edge of when you could or couldn't have nudity. I mean, I'm sure it's a lovely film, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's such like a novelty bird. seeing nudity or any sort of suggestive material in films of that time. Yeah, it's like, it's like when I watched, um, like, a, just a, two or three months ago, I watched uh, Flying Down to Rio for the first time. It's the first film where Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers dance together. And I'm just, it's it's got a lot, a lot of racy humor in it, first of all. Like, there's some, like, double entendre, like, vagina jokes. And then there's also just, like, these dancers in, like, see-through outfits. And it's like wow, there's just so many nipples in this movie. And then you go in for a close-up, and you're like, and pubic hair? Like, it's very odd for 19... I think that was 33. Hmm. Yeah. It's funny, like, even a film like uh, It Happened One Night mm. with Clark Gable. And who was the actress in that? Uh, Claudette Colbert. There's a scene where she, like... They're trying to get a car to pull over on the side of the road, and she, like, lifts her skirt and pu- puts her leg out. Yeah. And, like, even that at the time was, like, you know, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and that was, like, the tail end. Yeah, like, that was that was 34, right? Yeah. And they had, like, the whole, the whole like, wall of Jericho thing, like, um, where they're, they're not married, so they're sleeping in separate beds. And they've right, got the yeah. blanket hanging between them. Mm-hmm. And they kept, like, joking about it falling down and stuff. And... <sighs> yeah, silent Gosh, running. Gosh, I, I wouldn't <laughs> want this curtain to fall down in the night. I'd have to, I don't know, look at you over in your bed, and I'd be in my bed, and who knows what could happen. It's scandalous. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it reminds me, uh, I recently, oh, I guess a few months ago, I watched uh, the 1929 film Wings, because hmm. I, I bought it on Blu-ray, and it looks fantastic on Blu-ray. But... um it was that that one best picture in the uh, the first Oscar Academy Awards, well, what they call best picture now. But uh, yeah, in that film, it has one of the first cases of a male on male kiss on the lips, and uh, I mean, you watch it, and by today's standards, it's like it's it's nothing, you know, it's just like. And it's a very tender, emotional scene because it's like these two people who had uh, gone through like a you know war together. One of them is dying, and like as he's dying, the other one like just you know tenderly kisses him on the lips. There's nothing sexual about it, <clears throat> but um, I saw the the film with an audience in a uh, theater in Tampa, uh, the Tampa Theater in Florida, and uh, there were a lot of older people in the crowd and when that moment happened like there was like an audible gasp in the theater (laughs) and i was like really like that's it's crazy it didn't because it's not it happened so quick and it's not it's not like you know 
the kind of kiss that you would see like a deep romantic kind of kiss it's just it was so such a quick little thing so they, it wasn't that they were lovers it was just no. they were friends he was kissing his friend goodbye yeah as he was dying yeah. and the fact that it was on the lips was almost like inconsequential yeah. you know but i was just surprised that like there was even today such a reaction to it so i mean i don't know it's weird like moments like that just make you realize that like i guess audiences even hundred years ago, like weren't that different than today. But anyway, <laughs> no male on male kissing in silent running. No, no, not even any drone on drone action. <laughs> you know, Huey and Dewey, <laughs> all those lonely nights together <laughs> in the forest under the stars. Anyway, at the end, um, when uh, he's preparing to kill himself, and there's, like, these dissolves, like, from shot to shot as he's, like, preparing everything, and uh, and there's, like, this, like, bass note, like, going underneath it, um, like a heartbeat almost. Uh, it reminded me of another John Carpenter film, The End of the Thing, when they're uh, destroying the bass. And like I don't know if there were dissolves in that. I feel like there were. I feel like it was dissolved from shot to shot as they were like running around from room to room, mm. because there often are in other Carpenter films. But Morricone did the music for the thing, and that bass reminded me of like his score for the thing. Mm. And, but yeah, I, I feel like this film might have been something that was just like a heavy influence on John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because it's a movie. It, like Silent Running is a movie that you never really hear anyone talk about yeah. it's very under the radar like kind of just this just over there and it doesn't really seem like it was you know it's a good movie but it's not like a great film mm. it's not like uh i don't know visual effects wise is not as important as like a lot of other movies of the of the time but yeah i mean it's funny i mean yeah you never know how movies influence other people even smaller lesser known movies and i mean when the movie came out i mean john carpenter was just like a young like film geek in college i'm sure he you know and, and like he's always talked about his love of sci-fi movies mm -hmm. so makes sense that he would. i feel like he's just like oh my god silent running everybody's gotta go see silent <laughs> running this is the best movie ever yeah i don't know although i mean at that time i think he'd already done I forget the name of it. He did a short film that actually won the Oscar for best short film. Um, he really? he wrote it. He didn't direct it. Uh, I want to say the Resurrection of Bronco Billy or something. I think it was like seventy seventy one that that came out. Wow. But. But still, just because you've done that doesn't mean that you're still not like, sci-fi geek. But anyway. <laughs> I keep talking about John Carpenter. <laughs> I feel like we're not talking enough about the people involved in the. Uh, in Silent Running. Well, there's not a lot of people. <laughs> no, the cast is very, very small. There's really only four actors. Yeah. And, and then, like, three the, of whom... The drones and, and the, drones, the, yeah. and the voices on the communication thing. And um, I didn't recognize many names in the credits. There was Joan Baez, and uh, Michael Cimino was one of the writers, mm -hmm. and then uh, Doug Trumbull, John Dykstra... And the third visual effects artist. I don't know. You look on IMDb at the visual effects credits, and there's like ten names. 
So oh. I don't know who was listed in the credits. The third one that was credited is uh, Richard Urichich. Ur- 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 I don't know. Richard was his name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call him Dick. What did Dick do? Dick did. Uh, what did Dick do? He did math photography for 2001. He was he did uh, he was the director of photography for the photographic effects of Close Encounters. Douglas Trumbull also worked on Close Encounters and Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And all three of them. And Blade Runner. Yeah, they all worked on all those. So they were pretty much like you know a team that worked on all those films. I have a feeling that he might be like the mat specialist of it because he did, that makes sense. He did the mats for Field of Dreams. Um, and he did like optical effects for Ghost Dad and Almost an Angel, which I, I don't know that one. Under Siege 2. Then in the 90s, Mission Impossible, Event Horizon, Mission Impossible 2, Resident Evil, and then a bunch of stuff after that that I don't really know. Oh, Orphan and the Losers I've heard of. Ghost Dad. I don't... <laughs> that movie doesn't come up often enough. <laughs> That's with uh, Bill Cosby. That is with Bill Cosby. Yeah. Not what you call a good movie. <laughs> I, I watched that. Snow Cutthroat Island. <laughs> hey, it's got Bill. Mur- it's got Bill uh, Cosby in it. Yeah. At least that is like something. I mean, have you seen Leonard Part Six? I haven't. I've heard it compared to Ghost Dad, though. <laughs> I've seen Leonard um... Part Six. <laughs> That is not what you'd call a good movie. Well, he... I mean, Bill Cosby on TV is amazing. Bill Cosby in the movies... Yeah, never. not really a lot of examples to point to that are like... I mean, I can't think of any. Like, iconic Bill Cosby movies. But I, I like, Silent Running. Um, what was his... Uh, Bruce Stern's name? Freedom... Freeman. Freeman. Freeman Lowell. Freeman Lowell, something like that. I didn't when we found out his name was Freeman, which I guess it's on his like patch, but I didn't catch no, it until they said it. I didn't see it until they said it. That's a bit on the nose. Like I didn't, I don't like that they called him Freeman. <laughs> what? He's a free man, Tim. Yes, he is, and he can just be a free man. We don't need. It's like I'm gonna name the main character Norm because he's just a normal guy mm. or whatever. Like. I don't know. <laughs> or like in Lost, for instance, naming like the main character Jack Shepard uh, because he's, you know, leading the the sheep, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that kind of naming really bothers me. I didn't even remember that that was his last name. Yeah, it's Shepard. Yeah, I like the idea that he sends... Is it, is it Huey who lives? Huey's no, number. No, it's Dewey. Dewey. Okay, that bugs me because like Huey, yeah, because Dewey, Louie, and like Huey's number two. two and so Dewey's I kept number one, and then Louie's number three. Yeah, I kept seeing number two and thinking Dewey, but that's Huey. I don't know why they would have done it that way. So w- which one li- goes off? Uh, number one, Dewey. Number one, lives. Dewey. All right, so Dewey. All right, so it's like that's like its own like world, like a new world, mm-hmm. and it's like he's sort of like. 
Freeman Lowell has sort of like put himself up as like he's like a god now. Like he just like he sent this world yeah. off to exist. And there are a lot of in in a lot of the movie he's wearing this like sort of white robe. Yeah. That and with his sort of like longish hair, like this longish sort of dirty blonde hair, like he kind of looks like Jesus. Mm. Yeah, and it is funny, like, because right before he uh, he sends it off, he like there he's trying to like save the forest, and like he turns on the lights, you know, let there be light. Yeah, and then she yeah, shoots it off into the into the great unknown. So I mean that, and he he like actually, I was gonna say he sacrifices himself so that the world may live, but. Did he, he, he didn't need to kill himself. He just didn't want to live anymore. That was my, like, did he, if he had lived. If he had, if he had like shot himself off into the forest as well. I mean, he had to eject the forest and blow up the station because the other people were coming. So he had to make it look like it was all destroyed. But I mean, he could have been on, he could have stayed in the forest. But if he had not stayed in the forest, but like sent the forest off and then gone back to the to uh, Valley Forge, the right. ship. Like, well, w- it, because once the uh, the other people came and to rescue him, they right. would have seen that the story that he's told them was all not true. Okay, all right, and yeah. So. Because he killed all That's of his right. crewmates. So, like, they would have seen that, like, because he was saying, oh, there, there's a, the, it's all, the, the cargo bay is all destroyed and it's a total mess down there. And, uh, even when they're about to doctor, like we don't see the uh, the damage on the outside. Like he's like, oh, it's on the other side. You know, it, he couldn't have held up the the story. Yeah. So he had to destroy the ship. But I mean, he could have figured out a way. It would have involved <clears throat> sacrificing one of the drones. Right. Um, and I guess Which he seemed fine with anyway. <laughs> I, mean... I mean, I guess he, maybe Huey was too damaged, like he couldn't. Yeah. His arm couldn't function or whatever. So I guess he probably he'd have to sacrifice the one working drone, and it makes sense that like you'd send out the drone who presumably can live a lot longer or function a lot longer than than he could mm. to maybe keep the forests alive for you know maybe hundreds of years. And really, like, to what end do you think? Like, I mean. He's right in saying, like, it's better for us to eat this fresh food and everything, and, like, it's more, it's healthier, and we need to, like, restore plant life to the earth and everything. But as far as, like, this isolated little world of the forest, Mm -hmm. it's almost like he's just convinced himself so much that the forest has to keep going that he's kind of forgotten, like, what the forest was for. And it's not really helping anybody at this point. The only chance that they really have is that, I mean, really, it was it was the choice between, like, destroy it, yeah, in which case there's no chance it will ever find its way back to Earth, or at least send it out in the hopes that maybe somewhere down the road, somewhere, you know, maybe, maybe it takes a couple hundred years, maybe it takes, you know, or maybe less, someone will find it. And maybe the times had have changed, and maybe people see this isolated, secure capsule and say, like, you know, generations from now, look, we have like some. This it's a miracle that this was saved. Like, we can actually use this. 
the part of the whole equation that doesn't make any sense is why would the go- the government because these were U.S. ships mm. why would the government order all of the forests destroyed? Because I I get the the idea that like they're going to repurpose the the ships for like more economically viable uses instead of just yeah. having them you know preserve these forests for who knows how long. But why not just like I don't know jettison them or even like bring them back closer to Earth maybe and like keep the keep the capsules if you just put them in orbit put them the somewhere you know that like you can use why just say like ah forget it just destroy them we don't need it I guess they were that uncaring about it they just like didn't they really just didn't give a shit I mean that would go with everything that we've heard about people yeah i mean everything that we've learned about people just living even without the movie (laughs) yeah but i don't know i think like humanity as a as as a species i think will always value nature even for as much damage as we've done even now in in our own world I don't think anyone really wants to see, you know, nature completely destroyed. Like that, I don't think that's anyone's intention. It's just they want to see how close they can come without crossing the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think like if it was to really be like, you know, turn into like the world of Wally, for instance, where there just is. I haven't seen Wally. Oh, well, in Wally, right. there's it's kind of similar actually, because you have this little robot, you know, on only in this case it's on Earth, and all all the humans have left because there's no nothing can grow on Earth. It's just a big garbage wasteland, and uh, the little Wally, the robot, he finds like one little plant sprout growing. And uh, it's like a you know fight to save the save that one little sprout. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I when I was as I was watching the movie, I was thinking like, this seems like a movie that would, with all the, like the remakes of films and stuff, this is a movie that like I could actually see if it was remade, it would actually make sense because the movie is kind of dated with. Not just like the special effects, which you know, like we said, we we enjoy those because it has this, yeah, you know, it's charming and I like the aesthetic. But like just the hair and the music, the music and like you know the the very like I don't know on the nose sort of way that it kind of imparts its message. But but then when it reached the end. And we send this capsule, out, the, the we send the dome out with one robot. I was like, they shouldn't do a remake. They should do a sequel. Silent Running 2. And have it, you know, hundreds of years later. And somebody finds the, uh, finds the dome. Wouldn't it be awesome if, like, you made, like, a brand new movie with all, like, modern special effects. But they find the dome... And it looks exactly the way that it does in this movie. <laughs> so even with like you know the drone 
just like the same kind of wobbly, you know, thing. It just looks exactly the same. Everything else, you know, you go back to Earth and it, like all the other ships and everything, it's all modern special effects. But this one capsule from like this ancient time, you know. That'd be a pretty cool way to do a sequel. And like they end up like it restores plant life on Earth, basically. Or... Well, you know, you have to like have hurdles to overcome. <laughs> I feel like if those hurdles are overcome, it would go against the whole spirit of the, the film. Although, I mean, that's well, no, a different that's, era, so... it would, Yeah, it would be, like, hundreds of years later. And it would be like, yeah, Lowell's... What he did in Silent Running, it actually... It actually worked. Well, I mean, the era of film. Because, I mean, like, it's such oh. like, it's got that whole downbeat 70s sci-fi thing. And right. Like now, although I haven't seen a lot of sci-fi movies lately. Um... Is it pretty split, like, upbeat, downbeat, like... Um... I'm trying to think of what I have seen. I've seen, uh... I mean, there was Gravity, then World War Z. Both of those have, like, an upbeat kind of ending, right? They're not, like, you know... (laughs) Upbeat-ish, yeah. Like, I just want to die. Yeah, okay, they don't have that, yeah. (laughs) Um, I've seen Oblivion with Tom Cruise, I've seen Elysium... Matt Damon. Elysium made me mad. I didn't see it, but just the commercials for it, because like like I mentioned earlier about like putting messages into movies, sci-fi is the way to go. That seemed like they were like, okay, let's just make the movie nothing but messages. And again, this is just based on the trailer. Like that's all it seemed like, and it was like, oh, but it'll all be like a metaphor for this or sit. And it's like it's not even. It's just. It just made me angry. Like, was that a good movie? Yeah, it's a good movie. Was it hitting you over the head with its message? About, um, like... I mean, it's it's pretty blatant what the message is. Especially like in like I don't know the kind of the crux of it is kind of about like healthcare. Do you feel like that was a message that needed? Like, I feel like the thing about a lot of earlier sci-fi films is like it would be awkward for them to put the message into other movies. But like now I feel like the, we've already said all this stuff. We've already said like, Oh, the rich people have everything. The poor people have nothing. There's only so many ways you can say that. Right. And like that movie seemed to just like, they didn't need to make a sci-fi movie about that. They could have just said like, Oh, go watch sicko or something or like, or just, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the movie's cool. It's definitely, it's not like the most groundbreaking sort of message, but it's entertaining and it's like, and it does what it does well. Did you laugh every time they would say something about the message? No, because it, right. it's not like that blatant. It's not like, you know. Because the trailer was all about the message. <laughs> right. Yeah, I actually, I in the theater, I saw a trailer for Elysium. It was like an extended trailer. Mm. It was like five minutes long. And it just, like, it showed so much from the movie. And I was just like, why are they, like... I feel like I just watched the whole damn thing. Because it just, like... It was like, this happens. And then this happens. And then this happens. And then this happens. And I'm just like, okay, like... I just... I know the whole plot, basically. But no, I mean, it's not, like, uh, totally... Like, I don't know. 
You should you should just give it a, give it a shot. Okay. It is interesting. I mean, last year there were like three science fiction. Well, there were a lot of science fiction films last year, hmm. um, but there were three in particular: Oblivion, Elysium, and After Earth, which all had this sort of idea of Earth is. It takes place in the future. Earth is kind of like a wasteland, and everyone's kind of like left Earth. And it's about like kind of like going back and seeing what how Earth is doing. At least that's what it's like in Oblivion and, and After Earth. Um, in Elysium, it's not so much like the Earth is still inhabited, but there's this sort of like Earth is kind of a polluted, fucked up mess, and you know the the rich were able to leave basically. But yeah, I mean there, those were three within like two months of each other that came out and it was just like wow i mean the sci-fi movies like kind of and then gravity it's big gear for sci-fi mm. actually and which what were the avengers movies that came out last year did any of like that whole franchise um not I, it was iron man 3 and thor the dark world so I'd put Iron Man with sci-fi. I don't know about Thor, though. Thor is kind of like... more fantasy. Like... Yeah, it has this kind of sci-fi element to it. I, I really like the way that they've, that they've developed the world of Thor. Because it is this kind of like... It's this sci-fi fan... It's like a... It's a fantasized version of like science fiction. It's got a really cool... Aesthetic to everything. It's... it's I don't know. It's It's neat. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. When I think of sci-fi, I don't really think about movies like Iron Man. When yeah. It's like, yeah, technically it is science fiction. Well, it's like I don't usually think about like Frankenstein movies, but it's like, well, a scientist brought somebody back to it life. It is about made, yeah, it is made a human, right? So. Using like pseudo fictional yeah. science, you know. Elysium kind of just it reminded me of Land of the Dead again, going just by the trailer, where it was the idea of like there's all those... <laughs> George Romero's Land of the Dead, yes, uh, where it's like. You know, like, there's the lower classes who are down there dealing with all the shit that's going on. Right. And then there's Dennis Hopper up in his tower. Yeah, he's, like, just up there safe, and the John Leguizamos of the world would like to be up there, but can't quite make it. Mm. And, um, not that that movie did it that great either. That was, uh, Wait a minute, John Leguizamos in Land of the Dead? Yeah. Um, I forgot about that. He try. He tries to, like get into the tower and like become like one of so wait a minute like they were both in super mario brothers oh yeah yeah because he was luigi yeah and dennis hopper was bowser yeah that's weird they should have got bob hoskins in there somewhere maybe maybe he is there's a lot of cameo zombies yeah, yeah. I mean, Tom Savini's in there. Um, Simon like, Pegg's in there. He should. They should have thrown him in as like a, you know the plumber zombie. <laughs> well, there's a reason to rewatch it. Look for the plumber zombie. It's yeah. probably Bob Hoskins. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bob Hoskins is just like my whole career went to shit. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got the role of the plumber zombie, <sighs> just capitalizing on my Super Mario Brothers movie. I miss the eighties. <laughs> Um, but yeah, another Romero film, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, that's another one that has like, has that same kind of look as Silent Running. Mm-hmm. It's got that great seventies, like the the vibrant colors, right? 
and everything. And yeah, where, like, like, the blood is, like, super, super red. Yeah, it's like you're reading a comic book. And, it, the like, the blood almost looks like just paint. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, that I mean, that those kinds of moments in Silent Running are funny. When it's, like, that guy, is he's walking, and he just trips over, like, a big rock that somehow he didn't see. And like falls and he's like, oh, I cut my hand. And then you look at it and it's like all fucked up. It's like yeah. totally gnarled up. And it's just like, <laughs> you hurt yourself that bad by just like kind of stumbling a little well, bit. Well, it was like a, was it like a pine tree or something? He like grabbed onto, had... he grabbed onto like a pine tree. Yeah. And somehow and like, like it scraped scratched him or the whole. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> yeah, you see him later when he's going to get patched up and it's like so much blood on the back of his hand. And the blood um, on Bruce Stern's leg when he has to be operated on, which I, is a great scene. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how he got injured, though. Yeah, I, I have no, like... Like, they kind of... He, he killed the guy. Yeah. And I'm assuming that he... What was that character's name? The one who was sort of friendly to him? Yeah, I don't remember. He was, like, the most sympathetic of his co-workers. But, like, I guess he injured him at some point in the fight. Yeah, you never really see it. At least yeah. I missed it. But yeah, the, yeah, the operation scene was was cool. But it just made me think, like, if you can program these drones to be medical robots, like, why wouldn't they just have medical droids on their ship? You'd think that they'd have, you know, something like that. That's one of the tricky things when it comes to like a lot of these sci-fi yeah. movies. Is like, well, if they can do that, then why don't they just why? do this? Yeah, yeah like. Like, why do they have to destroy all of the, the domes? You know, if they can just jettison them off and maintain them with drones, like, why not just do that instead of just destroying them? It makes me think that there's some evil corporate guy like Paul Reiser and Aliens behind the whole thing. I haven't seen Aliens. But I knew that that's what he was. Spoilers. Is that a spoiler? No, not at all. <laughs> I like Paul Reiser. He's not in much stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I only really know him from Aliens and Mad About You. You seen Diner? No. That is a fine movie. <laughs> he talks about how um, Silent Running seemed to be an influence on John Carpenter in the films that he did. But when I look at those little drones, I can't help but think about R2-D2 in Star Wars. Or even the Ewoks. Yeah. <laughs> the little guys yeah, waddling so. around. <laughs> but, I mean, the drones are very much like R2. They're these, you know, operational droids. They're short and squat. And they, they, they don't talk. They're just like... They make some noises. Yeah, the, the, even the, drone, the drones in this, every once in a while, will do a little chirping sound. They got a little bit of sass. Yeah. R2-D2's definitely had some sass. Oh, yeah. That's one sassy robot. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it makes me wonder, like, if there was any kind of influence there. There was, yes. <laughs> well, all right, then. <laughs> I just texted... George. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to George last week, and I said, hey, you ever see that movie Silent Running? Yeah, for, for a while, I thought that Douglas Trumbull was one of the people who went on to work on Star Wars, but it's not true. 
but one of the one of the three visual effects people on Silent Running did work on the original Star Wars. And then after Star Wars happened, there was just a rash of movies, like space movies, that had like very similar looking ships and a lot of uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. One of the things that he worked on was a TV movie from 1983 called Star Flight, the plane that couldn't land. Oh, wow. <laughs> was it kind of, you think it was kind of like a speed situation? Where it's like it couldn't maybe? land because, because something horrible would happen? Or if it was just like, you know, I curse this plane. It shall never <laughs> land again. Oh, uh, I hope so. It's the story of the first hypersonic commercial passenger plane. And on its maiden flight, a minor disaster occurs. Doesn't seem like a minor disaster because it results in the plane leaving the Earth's atmosphere and orbiting around the globe. <laughs> Just a minor, minor disaster. Uh, this is your captain speaking. We've had a minor mishap. Uh, we've left Earth's orbit and uh, are currently in outer space. Uh, it's gonna take a couple hours for us to get back on course, but, uh, the flight attendants will be there to serve you with, uh, drinks and peanuts. Uh, Cannot re-enter the atmosphere because, uh, they, uh, do not have heat-resistant tiling. And oxygen, and therefore time, are running out. So the crew of the plane and the crew on the ground must figure out a way to return the plane and its passengers to safety. That's from the IMDb summary. And there's a TV movie? Uh, yep, it's got Lee Majors, mm. Hal Linden, Barney Miller, Lauren Hutton, Ray Moland, all sorts of uh, people who were famous prior to this movie coming out yeah and weren't so famous at jocelyn brando i think that's marlon's sister really i i didn't know that he had a sister who worked in the in the biz yep older sister i only know her because she would show up in some of his movies like he would get her some work but i'm a big fan of john dykstra's work in life force the uh toby hooper sci-fi film from 85 yeah i've never seen life force he also worked with toby hooper on uh his next movie the remake of invaders from mars the 80s were a really great time for remaking 50s sci-fi movies Mm -hmm. but it's odd not so much in his films from that period but in like some of his earlier stuff like uh eaten alive and the funhouse Toby Hooper kind of had that sort of weird color scheme going on. But I mean, I guess it was just, that was the time. And a lot of them were like, it wasn't so much like being influenced by each other's movies as like, there were a lot of directors who had grown up reading like EC comics, like Tales from the Crypt and Weird Science and stuff. And like, they sort of took color schemes from that also. I mean, you look at something like Creepshow. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, like, blatantly kind of yeah. has that. I mean, like, Silent Running isn't that outlandish, but just, I don't know, the way the colors go together it just makes it seem, like, just slightly unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I don't know, just adds more to it, I think. 
because like it would uh, it's already like a downbeat film but then just to have it be like a gritty realistic film for the whole way through yeah, like it, be... it might have been unbearable yeah those uh, those drones definitely helped because if imagine the movie without the drones oh my god or if the drones were like mm. i don't know less fun <laughs> if he just had his smartphone yeah <laughs> and was talking like that was his only friend <laughs> Yeah. Or he was talking to his tricorder. Ah, yes. <laughs> Never did find out why it's called a tricorder. If you know why it's called a tricorder on 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 the Star Trek, um, let us know. Yeah. Yeah, just give us a call at 518 518- 518-793-2531. <laughs> Bard. <laughs> Yeah, it's called, and tell us what a tricorder is from Star Trek. So the movie's called Silent Running. Do you know what the name refers to? No, what? <laughs> well, Tim, um, apparently it refers to a technique that submarines would use when they're being like fired at by enemy submarines. I think during like World War II, probably they'd basically fake being destroyed so like you know torpedoes would come in and they'd like try to evade them and hit nearby or something and they'd jettison a bunch of like cargo to try to make it look like there's debris and then they'd shut everything down and just kind of like not move just like sit and that was referred to as silent running so that they could that so that basically it looked like they were either destroyed or incapacitated or whatever and hopefully the enemy would move on Okay, I think there's a, um, there's a like a World War Two film. I think Gregory Peck's in it. It's called Run Silent, Run Deep. Ah, and it involves like a submarine. That makes sense. Now, why was it called Cool Runnings? Well, Tim, I have no idea. <laughs> hmm. I feel like at some point they're like, oh, we should call our bobsled Cool Runnings because I don't remember why, but okay. So yeah, that's the story of the name. And of course it relates to this movie because that's essentially what he does with, yeah. with the ship. Is he pretends that it's destroyed and then he runs silent, runs deep. Do you think we should all grow our own food and just eat organic? Like, do you think that's in everybody's best interest? Because um... like, I think we should, but I don't want to. You know, like, and I feel like maybe that's kind of greedy because, like, there's all this stuff that points to, like, oh, well, that's best for health and the environment and everything. And then all the stuff that I want to do, like, I don't have anything to back it up with. Like, oh, well, this is good because it's just like, that's just what I want to do. I think it makes sense, like, if people can live more or less, like, self-sufficient then it makes sense for them to do that. Mm. But just in the nature of uh, our world and the way that our society works, I don't think it's necessarily viable to basically assume that everyone would have the ability to even do that themselves, to grow all of their own food. 
basically. I'm certainly not against it. I think people should be more free to be able to do that. Because you hear about stories a lot of, of, like, due to, like, zoning regulations and stuff, like, people being unable to use, like, rainwater for for things. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, no, that rainwater technically belongs to, like, the municipal water supply or whatever because it's the runoff that goes into this river and they have control of this river. So the rain that goes on your property is actually... Oh, I haven't heard them. Of that. Okay. Yeah, I've heard a couple of, like news stories about people who are like trying to like collect rainwater for their own uses and were like shut down by like the towns and stuff. I think like that kind of thing is like, you know, people should be more free to be able to like use their own land properly, you know, and whatever and, and use it in a more efficient, effective way. And people and we should be striving to like become more efficient and even in like you know cities um where trying to like grow your own food it would be very very difficult to try to do that like in like new york city for instance but it could be done like you think about just how much rooftop space there is in all of new york city that's like just empty that's just empty space that like isn't really used for anything if you converted just like half of all the rooftops into like gardens that, you know, you can just grow everything there. I mean, that there's so much, that's a whole resource basically that, and it has, it's, it's totally uninhib- uh, unhindered by like the sun, you know, like everything is in, in broad daylight and I don't know. I mean, it could be done. I remember a uh, goofy cartoon where he had a tree growing out of the top of his apartment building. So clearly, if you can grow a tree there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, like, I think that it totally makes sense, especially with, you know, bigger, like, food corporations, like the whole Monsanto thing, who are trying to basically, like, control the entire food supply. Mm -hmm. You know, that, go, that gets into some very dangerous territory. And if they... What is it, like... Uh, <clears throat> anytime one of their trucks accidentally, like, spills Monsanto product on the side of the road and ends up mixing with, like, the crops that are just growing there, they end up suing that farmer, even though they had nothing to do with any of it. And... Yeah, um, it's, it's it has to do with, like, the... the the strain, the biological strain of, of the seeds or mm. of the grain or whatever. And if that in any way just like makes its way into any other farm, it, uh, yeah, they can basically say, you know, sue them and claim ownership to their, to their crops and stuff like that. So all they have to do is just keep randomly throwing their product into the other people's crops and, and they put them out of business. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it kind of is is a lot to do with. Uh, well, Ryan and Steve wrote a script called The Harvest Men, which kind of is inspired by a lot of the, that kind of idea. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, so on the one hand, I, I definitely think like more self sustainability is important, especially like going forward, because you know there are like seven over seven billion people on the planet, and it's only going to grow over time. We have to, like, basically, we got to cut. If all that food is coming from, like, one place, trying to feed the entire 
world or like just even the entire country for instance not even just thinking about the rest of the world yeah if we're trying to feed everybody in in the united states like the less we have to rely on those big companies and those big corporations and like then the better but at the same time i don't think it's like totally viable to say like oh those like big food companies shouldn't exist because no i mean like they it makes sense to like we need like a a way to distribute food on a on a national scale because there are so many people and there's so many different people living in so many different environments that you know we need to be able to like effect, efficiently ship food products all over the place i mean there's just like there's so many people that consume so much food <laughs> where you know that food has to come from somewhere so i i mean i don't know like i i'm not entirely opposed to uh like genetically modified food if you can make it if you can make a way to like basically grow crops like bigger and more effectively as long as it's not like creating making them like unnutritious then like I don't really see Yeah, if you can replicate the same mixture of vitamins and nutrients and yeah. everything like that. Or even that. if you can make them like even more healthy in some way, yeah. you know. Just because it's genetically modified doesn't mean that it's like bad. It's how you modify it. And, you know, then there's the whole idea of like growing meat in a lab, you know, and like you wouldn't have to kill any animals because it's all new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed like if if I mean, this is something that like you could very well see in our lifetimes, like going into the grocery store and seeing, you know, steaks that were artificially grown. Mm. They they didn't come from an actual living animal. They just were the, the 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 muscle, the tissue was grown. I mean, if it's if it's healthy, you know, it probably it probably isn't. You know, it probably wouldn't be any like less healthy than the steaks that we have in the stores now animals who are you know all the the hormones and stuff that they put in speaking as somebody who still enjoys a bologna sandwich from time to time i wouldn't mind eating like fake meat no i mean i eat hot dogs like yeah you know if if they put if they put it out there like oh here's like you know lab grown steak i'd give it a whirl and I mean, you think you can think like in the future, if you know, what if we could just like grow all of our food like that, mm. in a really cheap, efficient way, and just like cut the price down dramatically because you wouldn't have to like raise an animal, make it grow fast, and like shipping the animals and keeping you know feeding the animals and doing all that stuff. Like you could cut the cost down on food like by a lot if you can just like mass produce steaks and you know and chicken breasts and all that kind of stuff I don't know I th- I think it's like it makes sense mm-hmm. to try it yeah you know I'm not so I'm not like totally against like synthetic food all food is is just like I mean God knows I eat all kinds of crap you know 
I mean, so much stuff that it's like, I don't know, all that, all like, you know, I don't know, chips and all the, like, junk food, you know? Yeah. Like, people eat that stuff and it's not like, it doesn't, like, kill you. If you eat it in excess, it will. Right. Over Years time. And, yeah. But it's not like, you know, oh, you're going to eat, like, a lab-grown steak and it's going to, like, give you radiation poisoning or something. I think, it'd, I think you know, if they were to do that, like, and had enough experience with it, they could probably make food way healthier for you. Because they can control all of the the total composition of what's in it. Agreed. So yeah, give me that clone steak. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I'm really glad you picked this. It is something that I've always wanted to see, and it didn't seem like anything I'd ever really get around to seeing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad to see another performance from Bruce Dern where I wasn't just upset by his presence. Like I don't hate Bruce Dern, but like I just he's just a bit much sometimes. Yeah, it's not like a overpowering uh, performance in this. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. You know. Especially since he's in like every single scene cuz he's like the only character in the movie basically. Yeah. I enjoyed watching it again. Like I said it had been a while, so like I kind of remembered some things about it, but it was nice to uh have a refresher. It was a movie that I didn't know of until my dad gave me the DVD, I think, for either my birthday or Christmas or something. And it was something that he had seen back in the theater when he was younger. And, yeah, I think he saw the DVD and was like, oh, <laughs> this movie, you know. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that he, uh, he gave that to me because it's cool. I like science fiction and especially from that from that era. Speaking of that era, we keep saying 71. IMDb says 72. I thought it said 71 on the uh, on the movie. Maybe I just... It says 71 on the back of the, of, the, of the DVD. Maybe that's when it was made and then it was released in like early 72 or something. Rated GP. Rated GP? I think it means it's appropriate for the general public. Ah... Before PG. It was released on March 10th, 1972 in the United States. So, I mean, it was made in So, if it was made in 71, mm-hmm. that's what the copyright would say. Okay. While I was looking at IMDb, I saw that Douglas Trumbull, his birthday is April 8th, which is my that birthday. familiar. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes you see, like, oh, I wonder who I share a birthday with. And, like, you go and you look... Yeah, the only other one that I know of is uh, Patricia Arquette. I share a birthday with her. That's not bad. I saw a few minutes of Little Nicky the other day. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I've never seen that movie. It looked odd. Yeah, I... <laughs> I mean, she's done a lot of other stuff that she's good in. I don't know why. That was... It's fresh on my mind. Like, oh, Patricia Arquette, Little Nicky. Yeah. And she was uh... in the, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, part three, right? Yeah. 
and Stigmata, which oh yeah, Stigmata. I really liked. That was one that I that I rent. I would rent from the video store. I saw it at um. What the, what was the name of the movie theater where Steve worked by Skateland? That was Route Nine Cinemas. Route Nine. I saw it at Route Nine Cinemas with uh, Gavin and his father. That was a weird theater. Yeah, but they showed cool stuff. Yeah. I remember once I went and saw A Bug's Life there. Mm. My grandmother like picked me up, picked me and, and Luke up to go see it. And she just like dropped us off at the theater, which was really weird. Is that- How old were you guys? That was like 98 or something? Uh, yeah. I guess I wasn't too young, but... Why do I know that? Why am I like, oh, Bugs Life, 1990? I haven't even seen a Bugs Life, first of all. <laughs> but like, yeah, I just looked it, it is, up. It, it is, is 1998. Yeah. Same year as Ants, of course. Yeah, yeah they, they came out within yeah. like, you know, a month of each other or something. I didn't know Sharon Stone was in Ants. I think that was the same year that she and Woody Allen appeared together in Picking Up the Pieces. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, you know, Picking Up the Pieces was later. It was 2000. Like there was this period for a while where he was like, um, he went to some agency, like a casting agency, and was like, I know I, I'm a writer and director and stuff, but I mean, like, I do act sometimes, and I mean, if people want me, I'm out there. And he kind of, like, put his name out there, and he just appeared in, like, a... F- like Random a, things. Yeah, and it was, it was cool, um, like, that he did, like, you wouldn't expect him to do, like, an animated movie like ants and yeah like he did like a really like low budget like religious satire picking up the pieces uh pieces but um. i mean that's the kind of thing that like yeah if you are in that kind of position just going and doing like an animated movie that just seems like fun because it's like you get to be involved in a movie and get paid and you don't have no like responsibility (laughs) for it you know you're just like you can just show up yeah Sometimes I admire actors in that way. <laughs> they just get to show up and do their stuff and then leave. When you write it and direct it, you're with it every single step of the way. And it won't leave. Let's move to Hollywood and be actors. <laughs> that sounds uh, reckless. Let's move to Vancouver and be extras. That sounds more doable. All right. All right. So next week we'll be uh, coming to you from Vancouver. Hopefully on the, on the set of some film, <laughs> in the background somewhere. Uh, yeah, I think that'll about about wrap it up for this week's episode. Unless you got something else. I don't think I do. All right. So next week, Tim, you already picked out your movie? Yep. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we'll see you next time.
to. 